Hello and welcome to The A-List, the podcast that asks the world's top advertising professionals how they got started in the business. I'm Tom Chrisman, Chief Creative Officer at DeMassimo Goldstein, an inspiring action agency in New York City. Today, I talk to Mr. Eric Silver, McCann's North American Chief Creative Officer. That's a big title. He's a good man. Uh, I have worked for him uh, and near him and with him, uh, and he is very funny and very smart. We talk about finding a good partner, finding a tribe. We talk about the culture of big and small ad agencies and what's better. And we talk about farting and masturbating. That's pretty much covers it, what we talk about. The A-List is brought to you by Ad House Advertising School. Advertising age called Ad House New York's newest, smallest, and arguably hippest ad school. Their philosophy? An ad class is only as relevant as the professional who teaches it. Ad House classes are taught by the best in the biz in the agencies where they work. You get 10 weeks of classes for just 600 bucks. To apply, go to adhousenyc.com. That's adhousenyc.com. And for the latest news, follow adhousenyc on Facebook. Get ready for Mr. Eric Silver. Hi, Eric Silver. Tom Chrisman, how are you? I'm so good. Uh, I haven't seen you in a long time, but uh, we we know each other from former uh, jobs and lives and things. That is true. That is true. How is the podcast? Uh, how's it going? Are you are you a pro yet? I don't know. You tell me. I, I people seem to like it. Um, what did Rob think? Does he walk around just grumbling about how I didn't make him sound good? And I uh, know uh, he's he's elated. He has a oh great. He's he's very excited. I w- yeah. I'm I'm going to make T-shirts that say I'm on the A list, and only mm-hmm. people who have been on the podcast will get them. But um, that's one of those things where I say I'm going to do something, and then uh, maybe I'll do it eventually. Okay. Um, but uh, this is about you, though. This is about Eric Silver. Uh, what I like to do on this podcast is I like to go back, and um, a lot of people know all of your work. You've done some amazing things uh, in your career. But where did it all start? Where did Eric Silver grow up? Tom Chrisman. Uh, I grew up in Orange, Connecticut. Um which is a small, quiet town, uh, especially back in the 80s. And uh, I was trying to think about Orange, Connecticut. Um, and yeah. I, basically all I could remember was uh, we had the Boston Post Road, mm-hmm. uh, which is an actual road that's basically a large mall. And I think it, I think it runs from New York to Boston. Yeah. And the only, other, the only other thing I could think about was showcase cinemas. Uh, so a lot of my childhood was spent trying to sneak into R-rated movies. Right. Uh, those are my two big memories. What are what kind of movies were you trying to sneak into, like uh, Porky's? Is that uh, one of them? You know, I, I let's see. I remember, I remember getting into Risky Business uh, mm-hmm. and Caddyshack. Risky and, Business. Uh, that, that middle of that movie gets a little. It gets very, very, very sexy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was an, an exciting time. I was mm-hmm. probably 13 or so. Yeah. I remember not getting into Blade Runner, which was very traumatic. Wow. Um, yeah, but that was a lot of my childhood. Um, are you going to see the new Blade Runner? Are you excited about it? I think so. Yeah. 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 Good. Uh, and what what did you want to be when you grew up? What what was the what was what was the it running through your head? What did your parents do? What were your uh, what were your ambitions back then in my... high school? Yeah, so my mom was an attorney, and I think that I uh, 
So I had it in my head that I would be an attorney. I think mm. part of why I wanted to be an attorney was because I wouldn't have to think about what I wanted to be. Um, and it just seemed like a, a cool thing to do. Yeah. Uh, my dad was an accountant for a store called Caldor, uh, which no longer exists. I remember uh, the ads for Caldor. Yeah. So he did that for a number of years. Um, yeah. So that's what that's what my folks did. And you didn't you didn't like know about advertising back then. You sort of just said like, okay, I'm going to do what my parents do. Yeah, yeah, that's that's right. And then and then when when did sort of uh, so so you went to you went to college from there. You just sort of said, okay, I'm going to go to law school because like, where'd you go to college? Yeah, so so I went to Clark University, which is a small school in Worcester, Mass, and um, I took a lot of philosophy classes, which. Uh, messed me up. Um, <laughs> I still, I still remember like once a week I think about, and I don't remember a ton, um, from college, but right. there's something called infinite regress. Um, uh, and Tom, if you learn nothing else, uh, you'll get infinite regress, but yeah. it was just the elephant holds up the world and the elephant is standing on the chair. Yeah. But the question was what holds up the chair? And the big question in philosophy is always the same. It's how does something come out of nothing? Yeah, and if the universe if the universe started with two planets colliding, like where did the two planets come from? Right. And I remember I remember thinking I I want this to stop, and um, I just want to do drugs. Uh, yeah. But that but that was philosophy. Yeah, I think that's what everybody goes. I think basically that is a in a nutshell what college is. Right. You you, you figure out that there's no real meaning behind uh, anything, and then uh, you end up uh, having to go forward anyway. And you have to pay off the loan, sure. And then you have to pay off the loan, yeah. Yeah. Um, but so, so you went for philosophy, and then, and then, what, what did you like? Was there a point where you were like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I want to be an attorney? Was there any like, or were you just like, oh, that's what I'm doing? So like, that's, that's... yeah. So, so I left, I left Clark, and I headed to law school in um, Los Angeles. And do you remember the TV show LA Law? Did yeah. you ever watch that show? Yes, so of I... course, Harry Hamlin. Is, yeah, so that's I, who I base my personality on. Can't you tell? <laughs> that's something that could go on the T-shirt. That mm-hmm. could go on the back. Yeah. Um, I was going to be Vixa Fuentes, and uh, yeah, I could see I that. Was, yep, and I was going to argue cases in front of a jury. And then in law school, they told me there were like two percent of cases go in front of a jury. Yeah. And I, I remember thinking, I was like, do people, <laughs> do people not watch TV? Um, <laughs> do they not then, know? Yeah. Right. So they not know how this works because yeah. this is what I was going to do. Um, and then I did a summer internship where I was reading lots of statutes and um, I just, I wasn't good. I, I wasn't good at it. Uh, so I went to my boss and it was two in the afternoon. And I think I said just that. I think I was like, I'm not good at this. <laughs> and he, he was drinking scotch. Yeah. And in the said, afternoon. I, yeah. It was two in the afternoon. He's mm-hmm. like, if I was your age, I do, I do the same thing. So that was sort of that was the end of what could have been a bright legal career. Wow! And yeah. so you were like, I can't think of a le- less funny uh, career, but you're a funny guy. Like, what, did you never think like, oh, this funny thing? Were you always funny, or was that something that you learned later? What? Uh... I guess so. I guess so. I think in high school I came in second uh, for class clown. Uh, okay, which is always an honor. I think I was funny. I think growing up in Orange, Connecticut, which was pretty typical and suburban, um, maybe then I, I started to see the world in a different place. Yeah. Um, 
like just just seeing things a little different because it was a pretty ordinary town. Um, maybe. Yeah. Maybe that's what happened. Um, yeah. So I, I remember that kind of in junior high and high school, just seeing things a little differently. So at that point, you're you're out of. Are you still in law school when this when this guy tells you, uh, yeah, you should do something else or? Well, so that was so. I, I did one year. I graduated. Well, I just did one year of law school, and right. it was during this this clerkship in um, the summer that I, yeah, that I realized I was terrible, and and that is the time that I remember seeing um, Nike. You know, and that that mm-hmm. felt like the advent of Nike commercials and Spike and Mike. Do you remember those? Yeah, sure. It was, right, and it was they were kind of annoying. He and, had an alter ego. It was uh, what was the. The name of uh, yeah, Mar- Mars Blackman. Mars right? Blackman, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, I remember he would always say to Jordan, "Is it the shoes? Is it the shoes?" Yeah, and it's got to be the shoes. Exactly. Yeah. So I saw that, and I thought that's kind of cool. And I guess, like, even back then, thirty seconds felt like this. This is a good amount of time to focus. I think a lot of us are intentionally <laughs> challenged. Yeah. And uh, but I was like, thirty seconds. We that's something I could do. Um, so that's that's what got me hooked. But were you trying to write longer things at that point? Were you were you a writer like in your spare time? Were you like I, I want to write things? I want to make um, I entertainment. Yeah, I desperately want to tell you yes, but but no. Really? No. Yeah. And you yeah. just saw an ad, and you're like, maybe I'll do that. Yeah. And, what were and, the other options? What could you be right now if you had like picked something else that you just happened to see that day? <laughs> <laughs> As I think about it, there were no options. Okay. Um, and, and I think I was probably at home thinking I I have nothing and maybe was watching TV and that yeah. came on. And I thought, I, sh- I should have worked on my story, but I'm sure that's the way it happened. <laughs> no, and you were in L.A. at the time. Where were you I living was. in L.A.? Um, I had a bunch of different places, but Hollywood, which was awful. Oh, my um, God. Yeah, this was the early 90s. And, yes. And Hollywood, I remember there was like, bullet holes in the, the front of the building. You're but lucky the to be alive. Good. You're lucky yeah. to be alive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, and yeah. then, and then you, so I read that you had like, you started as the clerk and then this was the, your first summer and you just, st- you just quit and you started building a portfolio. Like what, what's the, how did you do that? Like, how did you know to do that? Did you have a friend who like told you like, this is how advertising works or? Well, so my my first interview was at Team One, and it was with this guy Steve Silver, no relation. Mm-hmm. And he asked if I had my book with me, <laughs> and I said I I don't know what that is, but I'm ready. Yeah, let's let's do this. Um, that that not a good approach. Um, so I took one class at an ad school in Los Angeles. It was I don't remember the name of it. I'm I'm not sure if it's still there. Yeah, but I quickly came up with twelve puns. And you and I are old enough to remember in the early 90s, that was a thing. Mm-hmm. And um, nothing good came of that. So yeah. I, I, <laughs> I took a job in a parking garage in Century City. Wow. And, uh, yeah, I just I could not land a job in advertising. Uh, my, my puns were not strong enough, no. I guess. Um, so I was – I'm just thinking back. I was, I was parking cars and – I guess I thought I'd be there a few weeks, and I was there for nine months. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, and they, they promoted me to parking manager, and yeah. I started freaking out. Um, <laughs> so I quit, and, and at that point, I'm just I'm broke. Um, yeah, and I guess 
I would say like a lot of creatives are going to brag about not going to ad school. Right. And I, I'd like to be really clear here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> go to ad school. Like, don't work in a parking garage. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, Lawrence Laugh will be happy to hear that. Take a, Take a class at Ad House, perhaps. That's exactly this, this message brought to you by. Ad. Yeah. <laughs> but I. But in all seriousness, like, it's not taking ad classes is is not the way to go. Right. Yeah. So you didn't take an ad class, and what were your, what were your ads like? Where, where did you? How did you know to to do? Were they just like on napkins, on pieces of paper, just drawn with a pen? Yeah, it was. Just, well, it was this. I literally took one class, and they they were really all puns, and I found yeah. someone to comp them up. Um, one ad had two puns, and uh, <laughs> I I remember I, I <laughs> two I puns. I That's my, yeah, and I called my mom, and I read her that ad, and I was like, see, not. Not a mistake. Not a mistake dropping out of law school, Mom. Um, but it was bad. It was, yeah, and, and back then there was kind of these marker comps, and you walked around with your portfolio case. Yeah. Um, yeah, but there was nothing good in there. And you, so you're going around and you're getting, like, how did you not, like, just quit it all together and just, like, where did you show that ad, the, those ads to? Where, where were the, where were the uh, ad agencies you went to next? All right, so I guess I'll... Uh, I'll start the journey, as it were. Um, <laughs> that that summer, I um, landed a gig working for Larry Lipsman. Um, Larry Lipsman worked at the Lipsman Group. Yes, and, I was going to uh, ask if that was the same yeah. Larry who worked at the Lipsman Group. <laughs> the, venerable, the venerable Larry Lipsman. Um, yeah. So he asked if I wanted a summer job, and I said that would be perfect. And uh, I guess one day there was an assignment to do a tabletop ad, and I might be making this up, but I think it was for Enterprise Fish Company. And, um, yeah, this to me was like the Super Bowl. It was a real assignment. And yeah. I, and I is this the job where you were making $25 a day that I read about? No, we'll, we'll get to that. Oh, okay. Uh, you're not, you're not but, making that much yet. No, I hadn't hit the big time yet. <laughs> um, and this, But this to me was like the Super Bowl. It was like a real assignment. And, and Tom, I remember thinking, like, this, <laughs> this would live on a table at a seafood restaurant. And yeah. I, I really – I remember – being thoroughly excited, and I, I totally came through with Catch Our Catch. So, oh, uh, Catch Our I, Catch was your line. Yeah, because I, yeah. I'd been, i <laughs> I don't want to brag, but yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a, that's something I came up with. Yeah, and then I, and when you say tabletop, yeah. is that like it's just like wh- what the, what, wh- what, what is that? Yeah, What's just on the table. Thing? Yeah, just on the table sat the little like triangle thing that you see in restaurants. Oh, like the a, little card, like the little table card. Yeah, the table card. Yeah, yeah and it, it just said catch our catch. Catch our I, catch, and yeah, then think, it was yeah. just so, a fish. Yeah, and I was off to the races. Yeah. All right. <laughs> um, I debated telling you this story, but I'm I'm going to. Sure. Um, you'll stop me if it's going wrong. Um, <laughs> that job, I uh, after that, I I just started interviewing yeah and one of the interviews do you remember Levine Huntley Vic Beaver yeah 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 so I interviewed with a woman named Rochelle Klein and she was this amazing writer creative director um I think as a side note I think they after I interviewed there Subaru went to widen and they went they went under but anyway I was interviewing with Rochelle yeah and there's this kid in the lobby and he asked he asked if he could see my book Mm mm-hmm and I, and I said, of course, and could I take a look at his book? Yeah. And on the flight back to Los Angeles. Um, from like, from where? Where was Levine Huntley at that point? In, this is in, in New York. New York. Okay. Yeah, I was in New York, and I was flying back to L.A. Yeah. And I was just thinking about this one ad um, that this kid did, and it was it was for a gym. 
Mm-hmm. And the, he- the headline was, if you don't like the way this ad looks, then change it. And underneath the headline was a mylar square, um, which created a reflection where you could see yourself. And I, I, the whole flight back, I was like, this, this is amazing. Like, I, don't, I can't do that. Yeah. So right when I landed, I went right to Walgreens. And I bought poster board and reflective shiny paper, and just <laughs> I just took it. You I, just uh, stole it. Yeah, I just I just yeah. took it. Um, and the next day, I and I I can't tell you how broke I was. Like yeah. I was quite desperate. <laughs> so the next day, I had an interview at a place called Larson Colby in yeah. L.A. And Rick Colby, he goes through my portfolio, and he's like, Yeah, he's like, it's okay, but like, there's this one ad that shows me you can do this, and I was like, Oh yes, that's that's my favorite. And, yeah. I guess kids, if, if oh. you're listening at if you're listening at home, don't do that. But oh. I, I tell you that just to tell you, I I had hit bottom. Yeah, that, that was, no, that was like you saying like I don't know how to do this. I'm just gonna rip off this other guy who has good stuff. Yeah, but I guess in hindsight, in telling you this, like I had good taste. It was a, a good ad. Yeah, see. you can. Um, you were a better. You you were ready to be a creative director at that. I was point. like a creative. That's a good. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah, I, I could look on it fondly. Yeah. So so I I got a week of freelance. And then what you reference is true. I I don't remember if it was twenty five bucks or seventy five bucks a day, but it wasn't good. Um, and a few months later, this guy Rick asked uh, if I wanted to go full time. I I think who's Rick? Think he, where is he? he where is... Rick Rick Colby of Larson Colby. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I was just laughing because I think he saw I'd, I'd like scurvy because I was making so little money. Yeah. Um, so I got I got a partner, and you know Roatash Rao, yes? Yes. So that was my partner. He was your first partner. Yeah, and he's still a really good friend, and he's he was brilliant. Even he does back such then. beautiful art and uh, amazing things that I see on the internet, and I keep saying that I want to buy one, and then I don't pull through because that's what I do. I, you know, I just you know, I'll, I'll do it someday, Rohitash. Well, for for God's sakes, for God's sakes, buy one. Um, yeah. he's yeah, he's this brilliant artist, and even back then. Um, he was great, and uh, I still I still remember in his portfolio it was for hair gel. Um, he took the barcode at the bottom of the print ad, yeah, and and used the hair gel to give the barcode a new hairdo. Uh, and as someone right, and as someone yeah. who only did puns, I was like, this this like blew my mind. Yeah. Um, so Roe was really helpful, and there was another junior creative, Kathy Heppenstall. Yeah. And the three of us, as as I look back on it. Um, it was good. It was good that we all found so you, each other. So you found your little tribe. And before that, had you had a had you had a, a partner before that? No, no. And I I do think there's a ton of luck in that first job. Yeah. Um, and just finding Roe and Kathy. Yeah. They they really help help me figure it out. I, I think Kathy early on, you know, she's she's a writer, so she has a a way with words. But she said stop sucking, <laughs> um, which was which was helpful. Yeah. But. There's tremendous luck in, in that, I think. So yeah. anyway, that's I debated telling you that story, but that's how I landed my first job. Wow. No, I love yeah. that. Have you ever told that before? Is this an exclusive? I think <laughs> I think this is a humiliating we'll, exclusive we'll, that we'll, I wanted to save for your podcast. Wolf Blitzer's coming out in a second. Breaking news. <laughs> yes. Um yes. what uh so no, but I think it's good to like to know that like even the biggest among us, we we come from uh, we're all we're all just uh, amoebas that uh, yeah. have now grown. Um, what what did you what did you learn from Rohitash and, and Kathy other than don't suck? Like, what did you guys talk about? And like, did you just like suddenly you're like, oh my god, I found my my little tribe here? Or 
Did you know um, at the time or were you just like, okay, I'm, I'm in, cause a lot of times when you're younger, I remember being like, feeling like I was in competition with, you know, even my partner at the time, you know, and, uh, Lubna Abu Aspa, I, I remember, uh, uh, she was my partner at, uh, Kirshenbaum and I, I would, we would almost fight because we were like, we wanted to be the one with the idea. Um, did you find that with your, with your first partners? Yeah, and I, I think the best people in advertising are are two things, charitable and competitive. Yeah. And we were both, you know, even then we were both, you know, I should say all three of us were kind of finding ourselves and it was certainly a competition. But I, you know, and I remember, um, I think it was for Greenpeace, Tom, and it was the CEO, Edgar Woolard. I might be making up that name. And I, it was a print ad and it said, uh, as it turns out, you can get cancer from another person. Um, it was for Greenpeace, and it was his practices. But I remember with that headline, wow. it, it started to shift a little bit. And yeah. it was like we could challenge convention a little bit. But, but I think that's a fair way to look at it, being you know, charitable and competitive. And honestly, like, when does that change? I, I think those are two good qualities. Yeah. No, those are two good qualities. And so... Um, so you found that, and when? How did you get from there to widen? Like, what's the? Because that was your first big sort of. Yeah. So so after Larson, Colby, I had a good enough book that I went to uh, Shaite in New York, mm-hmm. and um, oh you know, right, I saw, okay. Yeah, and I, I saw my friend uh, Tom Sherma a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And Tom owns Cosmo Street. He's, as an aside, the nicest person ever. Yeah. Um. 25 years ago, and fuck, I can't believe it's 25 years ago, but we were junior writers together at Shiat, and, uh, wow. and, I, and I asked him, and I, said, and I said, Tom, what the fuck happened to Shia back then? Yeah. And he just, he just said one word, and he said, recession. Yeah. And, I was, and as I was sort of thinking about this podcast and talking to you, you know, there, I don't know, I guess when I've sort of, missed a little bit or had a hard time in advertising, you look back on it and only, and I, I really think about advertising to be honest, but as you look back on it, there's been these three major recessions that temporarily killed advertising, 92 yeah. and 2001 mm-hmm. and 2008 and nine. But I, I, that didn't even occur to me until Tom said it, but that was the first recession I'd experienced. And yeah. shy, it was like, it was like the agency of the decade in the eighties and and when I got there as a junior writer, I think we went from 40 creatives to about four. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, so it, it was bad. So who, who was there with you at that time? Um, well, actually, one, one sort of anecdote I wanted to tell you was, yeah. um, well, it, and I will say, there's this woman, Eve Lupert, um, and she was in charge of firing everyone. <laughs> oh, and there was, a, there was a day that I think, I might, some of this I might be making up, Tom, yeah. but I think we called it Eve Lupert Thursday. Yeah. And if she tapped you on the shoulder, you were done. So, so I had this, like I thought, ingenious idea. Yeah. Um, I stopped going to work on Thursdays. Oh, um, amazing. Yeah, I would just go to Smart. the park. And Mary King, who I'd later work with at Wyden, she yes. was like, she was, and she's the best. She's like, babe, we know what you're doing. Yeah. Um, but, the, but I guess the thing I wanted to say was I, I listened to the David Angelo podcast. Yeah. And um, I don't think he'd mind me saying this. He said that. This was the only job he was ever fired from. Yeah. And again, Shia was kind of imploding when I got there. Yeah. And I never told him this either, but I was this junior writer there. And I think, I was just thinking about it. I, 
I think it's the first week there. Yeah. And this young David Angelo, he gives this passionate speech to the creative department yeah. about everything that's wrong and what we need to improve and how to do it. And, you know, we need to finally grow a set of balls. Or let's yeah. fucking do this thing. And yeah. Whatever he said. And I was, I was totally blown away. And you, you were stirred up. You were ready to go. Yeah, but this was like, so, but this was the first time that I was like, this, this is the right profession and, and passion and all that. Yeah. Totally fired up. And the next day I went to find this guy and tell him what the speech meant to me. And, and someone said, David is no longer at the agency. Oh. Uh, yeah, so that was, so I was crestfallen. Um, <laughs> so after, uh, I hope he remembers that because it was an amazing speech. So after surviving a whole year at Chiat, um, I got a call from a headhunter. And he said, the headhunter was like, uh, would you be interested in a job at, and I just said yes. Um, he, he didn't even get the name out. And I, was, I just, I was ready for the next thing. Yeah. And that was Earl Palmer Brown. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so I went. <laughs> I remember, no, I remember that. I remember the name. I'm thinking of the back of uh, Maxine Petro's book. Do you remember this? The, the, no. how, to, how, to, how to put your book together and get a job in advertising. No, because you, you never read it because you just wandered into this business, apparently. <laughs> Um, well, the rest of us were like, okay, I got to call this one and that one and the other thing. Um, and Earl Palmer Brown was on the list of agencies where I was like, I got to call them. And I, I think, you know, right below like Bozell or something. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And it was, it was probably the same list. Um, yeah. So Earl Palmer Brown, it was the one in Richmond and I was reunited with Roe, which was great. Um, he was at Stein Robert and he, I convinced him to come try this thing with me. Yeah. And I guess, I don't know, 94, something like that. And, and that was in in Richmond, you said? In Richmond, yeah. Yeah, no so longer, you, moved, it, you moved from New York to Richmond. Yep, and on, I, w- I wasn't making that story up. The headhunter was like, would you like a job at? And I was like, yeah. yes. You were and, like, yes. And, and whatever he said, I, if it was Bozell, I would have gone there. Yeah. Um, but it was Earl Palmer, and, you know, and I, I there was a show then, it was, and probably still is, it's called The Richmond Show, and... Martin would win 99% of all these awards. But for the two years Ro and I were there, we um, got Best of Show twice, which I'm sure drove Martin crazy. But yeah. it was an absurd absurd show because it was just, just like the Martin, yeah, Martin right. show. Yeah. And what, what the difference between uh, – you're in New York. You're – you know, it's like, you know, those are uh, – it was a recession. It was – pretty bad because I couldn't get a job anywhere too. All I was, that's when I was just coming in. But, um, right. and you, you moved to Richmond. What's the difference? Is it, is there like, are, were you just like, whatever, wherever I have a job, it's fine. Cause I'm at work all the time. Or do you know what the difference was? And shy, I mean, shy, it's an incredible agency, but especially to a young kid, it felt like a machine. It mm-hmm. just felt very, uh, corporate. And again, under duress because of this recession. So it, it was just, it just felt like a business, and, and right. nothing about it was fun, at least at least back then. It was a million years ago. Right. And Earl Palmer Brown was like in a house. Like they they rented this small house and made it an agency. So oh, it felt, I'm remembering this place now. Right? Yes. Right? So you could, you could put Fat cats part. don't fly? Was that a, a line from them? Yeah, fat cats sure that, don't, Or fat yeah. pigs don't fly or something? Yeah, anyway. they did a lot of posters like that. But, yeah. But I think that was the thing. It felt... It, it was in a house and literally felt that way, yeah. and you could focus on sort of doing good work. And, um, yeah, and I remember we had Good Guys Auto was a thing we came up with, and these mechanics, like, they would, uh, what would they do? they like, smell a spark plug, and they could tell you everything about the car. Okay. Um, so that one, 
best of show at the Richmond show. And the other best of show was farting radio um, we did for some restaurant. Um, so, yeah, so we could. <laughs> it was just so radio we, where the entire script was just farts? I think so. And it was, it was good yeah. enough farting that it, it could take uh, an award at the Richmond show. Yeah. Um, but it was like a real. it was a good time to kind of reset. Honestly, at, at Shiat, I was like, should I be a stockbroker? I was looking for ways to exit. Right. Um, the whole industry. Palmer. Yeah, and Earl Palmer is, is a way to at least see this. This can be fun. Um, did so you have? Did, was there? Was there like a mentor there that like like that maybe you didn't have in New York? Is there? Was there a? Um, did you have a mentor ever? Um, yeah, which I'll which I'll get to in okay. Biden. But yeah. I think I think Earl Palmer was really Roe and I again challenging each other. Yeah. Um, and that's the importance a, of a of a of a good uh, partner is they can go out into the world and then find a place and then pull you into it, right? Yeah. Cuz he, he went he first. Was, yeah, and he was really uh yeah, I I think throughout we were really important to each other and just and and like you said, you know, really tough on each other and and you want that in a first partner. Right. Um yeah, so I, so I had Good Guys Auto and this good farting radio, and I sent my book to Wyden in Portland. Yeah. And I guess the year after, so that's 95. Yeah. And, uh, and Dan... You got your first awards, and you're, yep. you're, feeling, you're feeling good. Yeah, and Dan Wyden, he later told me um, he hired me because Roe and I, we'd been working on a, a comic strip, and it was called Smear. And uh, one of the comic strips talked about how I was ashamed because um, I was masturbating to beautiful women on MTV. Yeah. And in the and in the comic strip, I said, and next time I would attempt to masturbate to CNN because uh, at least then I would learn something. <laughs> and so I guess as I say this to you, I guess the combination of good guys, auto farting, radio, yeah. and masturbating it was enough. It yeah. Was, it was, who could pass that up? Farting but and I, masturbating. Those, those are yeah. the keys. Only the high road, Tom. Yeah. Only the high road. But I, but I, you know, <laughs> even back then, even back then. But I, but I would say to creatives starting out today. Yeah. I guess if you could do something that sets you apart, um, not just to have advertising in your book. It doesn't have to be masturbating, but yeah, something. I think that's still good counsel even today. Yeah, do something outside. Are you seeing that in books now? Um, are you seeing like sort of outside of the the realm, you know, of of advertising, or is it well, pretty the same? It's more, it's more disparate than it used to be. You remember we carry around our portfolio cases yes. in print, and by necessity, necessity today, there's different kinds of advertising. But I think people should be submitting. I don't. It doesn't have to be a comic strip, but poetry or anything outside that just yeah. just to get a leg up. And I don't see it that often. And I I think it it's not a terrible idea. Yeah, I think you know now you can do so many things on your own. You can make a whole movie if you wanted to on your iPhone. Um, yeah. And with things like Instagram and Snapchat and uh, spectacles and you know you can do so many. I encourage everyone who works for me and wants to work for me to to do. To create a product or create a site where you're trying to sort of um, promote it to the world, because it, when you do that, you sort of learn how things work better. Yeah, um, that's smart. That's and it smart. and it also kind of gives you uh, the uh, idea that this person can do things on their own. They can actually make things. They're not just going to be like, "Well, I had the idea, so uh, somebody will figure it out." You know, which we don't have that 
anymore. You know, that was like the nineties. Um, yeah, you know, good advice. You kind of have to do something on your own. Um, so, so, but you got so you got the job at Wyden. Were you so excited? Were you like, I'm moving to Portland? I was. I, I was really excited, and you know, it was very competitive back then. Yeah. And it's Jim Riswold, and he's the, he's the reason I got in the business in the first place, right? Yeah. Spike and Mike ads, and yeah. Jamie Barrett. Oh, right. There. Did you know that at the time? I did. I did. Okay. I was. You were yeah. a little bit of a geek at this point. For, yeah, the, for the business. Yeah, and I, I knew he had done that, and I was honored to meet him. And Jamie Barrett was there, and Susan Hoffman, and um, I think Hank Perlman had just come up with Sports Center, and Boiler wow. was there. So it's really like just a lot. So you asked about mentors, and yeah. all, all of those names are, are certainly good names. And really, the one person I think it would help me more than everyone else was Stacey Wall. Mm. And I would show Stacy work early on, and I remember he was like, "This feels like an ad," and I was, <laughs> I don't know. You're I, like, I, "Is like, that what I'm here to do?" Yeah, I was yeah. like, "You're fucking right, it does." And then, and he was like, <laughs> "Thanks, man." And, and yeah, yeah, and Stacy, like, he wasn't trying to be mean, but he was like, "You're terrible," uh, and and that's, <laughs> but that's when it all kind of clicked. And yeah, this I like it's so antithetical, like that great advertising should not feel like advertising that yeah. that was a huge lesson for me like can and can you imagine accountants like bob the spreadsheet yeah feeling a little, a little accountant like what a yeah. fucked up profession we're in where yeah it shouldn't it shouldn't feel like advertising so those all those names i mentioned and stacy in particular um huge huge lesson for me uh, so yeah, you're you're just that those that's one of the lessons you learned and Stacy sort of took you under his wing and told you you sucked and you needed to work on it and so there's another level at this point where you're like, "Oh my god, I got to step it up even higher than I did before. I haven't made it yet." Is, was that the yeah. feeling or was, was yeah. there like, "Well, I'm at Wyden now. I could go anywhere I want." And No, and I think that's the thing about Wyden. No yeah. matter who you are, what year, you always feel like you're failing. It's just it's such a rich legacy, yeah. and everyone there is so great. And you know, and in the mid '90s, when this Nike thing was taking off, yeah. um, no, you—it was competitive. It, it was for sure. Yeah, and um, I remember seeing those ads. Uh, uh, there was one campaign. It was like it looked like it had been drawn by a child on white paper with a marker, and it was just a leg with all these hairs coming out of it. Uh, and then the shoe was drawn. It was like there was no photograph on it. It was just the drawn shoe, and it just had a bunch of drawn words on it about how to, like, just do it, you know. And I was just like, oh, my God, that looks like a sketch that somebody made, and they just did it into an yeah. ad. It's, it was amazing. It was like art, right? Yeah, it looked like art. Yeah. Uh, and I remember there was a, a commercial. I, I, I'm making this up, but I think it might have been Warren Eakins, but these – billboards came to life and they were kicking a soccer ball around the world. Yes. Yes. And I, but it was like art. It was. Yeah. And that was incredible. Um, um, and you, yeah. your, one of your first assignments there, you described as a retail project nobody wanted. Can you, can you, and then it became something that was your first sort of yeah. TV spot. Yeah, right? that's right. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I, I spent a lot of time, people reminisce. There's a lot of like, old friends who reminisce about Portland, and I pretend to, but I was actually in Mount Laurel, New Jersey, um, for most of my time at Wyden, because that was NFL Films. That's where it was located, and so we'd go around the country, and we'd shoot these peewee football games, and we 
we had to be in Mount Laurel because we were using the actual cameramen from NFL Films. Wow. And those, and I didn't know, but those are like some of the best cameramen in the world. Yeah. Apparently, like tracking a spiral is impossible. Um, But we thought it'd be this cool idea to use professional cameramen to follow Pee Wee football games. And then we got John Facenda to narrate these these plays. He was born Earl Campbell Brown. Yeah, that was was the voice. And I, I think the younger people listening won't know who that is. Yeah, but it was, the voice of NFL it, films, kids. Yeah, <laughs> go look him up, John Facenda. <laughs> but it was great, yeah. So you got to see an eight-year-old Pee Wee kid trying to keep his balance and that booming Facenda voice and the NFL camera work. And um, you're right, it, was, it did start out. It was a retail assignment, and I raised my hand. And I think that's another good note is you just keep raising your hand and yeah. you play the percentages. And for... I think four of those spots ended up on Super Bowls, one in each quarter, and um, all four finished um, at the very bottom of USA Today poll. And uh, generally, <laughs> that generally means that, you failed. Yeah, you failed. Yeah, yeah that's so. It was talk about elation yeah. uh, of going a 29 year old or however old I was, and like four spots on the Super Bowl, and just bombing the USA Today poll. But I remember Dan Wyden that following Monday, he was like, you know what? He's like, fuck him. And that's Dan. That, that's yeah. even Dan, just amazing. And he didn't care, so I didn't care. Because he knew that it was good for the brand, that, that the, the right people saw it and liked it. And w- why didn't he care? I think he liked it, and that was enough right. for him. Um, and you remember on FedEx, like, if you miss on that USA Today poll, there could be trouble. <laughs> um, but why didn't he, to his credit, he's, he's like, good job. Yeah. You know, and, and so give me a hard time. Tell me about, because that's interesting to me. Like, you got this, how did you know it was this retail project nobody wanted? Like, what was the, what were, what, what was the brief like? Were you just like, oh my God, this obviously nobody cares about this? The... Well, it, it turned out to be an open brief, but no one knew that. Ah. Um, and it was like to do 24 consecutive spots, and everyone assumed it was just talking about shoes, the Nike right. shoes. Um, so who wants to do 24 consecutive spots? That's probably going to take up a year. Yeah. And that's, that's going to take up all your time. But I, I thought, I don't know. So right. no one was going for it. And, uh, Andrew Christo was my partner and he and I did it together and, okay. uh, and we got lucky. Yeah. And what, what did you, uh, how did you crack that? What was, uh, what, what was your style at that point on, on an assignment? Well, and that's where Stacy helped because, I I like this idea a lot. I think in the writing, I was going to slip some jokes in there mm-hmm. about these kids. And Stacy was like, no, just, you know, uh, I'm trying to think back to some of the language, but like uh, stares, I forget the kids' names, but like stares into the eyes of his pursuers and something of himself is revealed. And, and Stacy's point was talk like they talked. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and that was a great lesson. And as you look at all the work throughout Cliff, yeah. that was that was something I stayed true to. You didn't need a joke on a joke. Right. Um, so that that was very helpful. That's where and, you learn play humor straight. Yeah. And I it, and we'll get to Cliff, but I a lot of that work followed that formula. Because I remember uh, casting with you um, when I you know. You came into my life because I was working at uh, BBDO, and yeah. uh, uh, 
uh, Jerry Graff had left us uh, the way the Baltimore Colts uh, left Baltimore yeah. uh, in the middle of the night. Um, and just to keep NFL films in our yeah, uh, thing. Yeah. Um, and he, um, so we were all there and you came in um, and then I was working for you, which I was excited about, but also frightened out of my mind because you didn't hire me and I knew what that meant. You know, it's like uh-huh. I'm, I'm on the chopping block, I can be gone any second. Uh, and then I was casting with you and I remember you saying, uh, no, that guy's a tell. You don't want to, you don't want to like cast funny looking people because you're sort of uh, telling everybody that this is going to be a funny spot and you don't want that. So That's that right. was that was one of the things yeah. I learned from you. And you also learned that from from Cliff, I'm assuming. Yeah, I I think I I do think that was a a widened thing because if you think about the Cliff style, ah. it was it was pretty out there. It was, it was he and he was the master of casting, but the people were a little exaggerated. Right. You know? That's right. Before you yeah. before you were there, it was more yeah. uh like a where's the beef lady and uh yeah. my dog can my dog can say I love you. Right. Yeah. Right. I was thinking I I listened to the uh Rob Riley podcast. Yeah. Um, and you had mentioned too that like the slipping the scripts under the door and uh, Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 And I I wanted to uh answer uh the podcast but you can't cuz it's a podcast. And you were yelling uh, at the at your uh, your own Yeah, yeah. iPod. And, and and that came about um because at Cliff, I was a creative director at 29 and had no idea what I was doing. Um, I still have no idea what I'm doing. Right. But no, teams, they would, they, would, <laughs> they would come into my office, and um, I'm trying to think of an example, but they'd be like, two guys go skateboarding, and it's really funny, and we see a cool trick, and then we cut to our end card. And I was like, well, what's really funny? And, <laughs> and they'd say the skateboarder. And I was like, okay, go write the script. Yeah. Come back, yeah. and it forced it forced creative teams to think think through what the idea was, you know. And when I started as a creative director, creatives were coming in and wanting to sort of vamp the idea, yeah. and that's where that's where that originated. And I think it's healthy too to put it down on paper, so it can always change, but at least you can um, see it, you know, and have a have a credible idea on the way in. So for those that didn't listen to the Rob Rod and aren't uh, you know encyclopedically uh, listening to all these things. Um, <laughs> One of the uh, things that shocked me in, like, it back into, you know, I thought I was, like, pretty good at writing stuff. Uh, and then Eric Silver came along, and I had to, you know, sort of write for my life at that point. And he, his whole style, your whole style, was uh, to basically have us write out our ideas in paragraph form uh, and don't stop to, you know, then come in and present it. Uh, just keep having more and more and more and more fill the pages uh, and send them to you, basically email them or put them under the door or hand you a pile uh, and then go back and keep going, uh, which at first I thought like, well, these are my ideas. How are you going to know how good they are unless I present them to you? But then it it really, it, it has changed the way I do things. I don't, because uh, it's a waste of time to, to present work. Um, Obviously, if your creative director does it and that's the way he likes to do it or he or she likes to do it, but uh, it is a big waste of time because you're – and also you could pick something just based on the performance of the writer, right? Yeah. Uh, And then it's not as funny on the screen, right? Yeah, and I think – you know, and I I probably mellowed out since then, but at Cliff and at BBDO, it was just 
let's keep coming up with stuff. I know Bogusky worked that way as well. Like, yeah. just, let's do a ton of things, and we'll we'll figure it out as we go. Anyway, I, I took us on a little uh, divergent right. path. It was fun. Yeah. Where were we? <laughs> um, we were, you know, I wanted to ask you about uh, some of the other things that you, you have, you know, where you learned some of the things that you learned. So um, let's, I guess we were at Wyden. Uh, right. So, and now we're, uh, wh- what happened after Wyden? So uh, uh, things are going well. So I decided to leave. And uh, <laughs> Eric, Eric King and I, we went to work for Chuck McBride on. Remember the Levi's, the Spike Jones yeah. painted love stuff? So yeah. we did that, and right when we got there, Levi's left, which was a bummer. And Levi's was gone. When we went to work for Chuck, who's a legend, but yeah. with Levi's gone, we were a little worried. So King and I, we went to Goodby, and I was only at Goodby for a week because from there I went to Letterman. Um, right. So you you basically left advertising to go work for David Letterman. But it didn't last very long. Yeah. What, know, what made you do that? Were you just like always wanted to be a comedy writer and you're like, I, I should do that? Well, I guess when the show was on NBC at 1230, it changed my life. Like it was so yeah. inventive. And honestly, it was so cynical. Like toast on a just, stick. Yeah, toast on a stick, uh, Velcro suit. Uh, yeah dropping shit off towers, stupid animal tricks. Yeah. It was so cynical and so absurdist. And, and there was one top ten list that, that changed my life. And it was, they redid it on CBS, but the original way they did it, it was the top ten numbers. Um, I think I was in high school when I saw this. And five was number two. And four was number seven. Three was six. Yeah. Two, two was a tie. Between yeah. three and eight, yeah, and and one was one, and the absurd brilliance of two numbers tying for second place, <laughs> that honestly that changed my life. Like, how brilliant is that? That two numbers would tie for second. So the way I got the job was I I had an agent at Creative Artists and um, a guy named I think it was Rob Burnett was the executive producer, and it was, yeah. it was the Pee Wee football ads. He saw the Pee Wee football ads, and he reached out to my agent. And, so wait, uh, how did you know yeah. to have an agent? I've never heard of anybody else saying this, that they had an agent. Why did you have an agent? I had an agent. I, I, you know, there's a great Mark Maron quote. He says, things get, he says, things get lost as time dims the lights. So I, I can't remember if I had the agent and then Rob Burnett contacted him or vice versa. But Rob Burnett and this guy, Jeff Jacobs at Creative Artists were friends and somehow the peewee football is what tied us all together. Right. And um, that's how I got it. So I put together a spec pack and met the head writer, and, and I got the job. Wow. So, like, you're like, okay, guys, I'm out of here. Did you do that thing where you throw your papers up in the air as you leave and just told everybody to go fuck themselves? I'm working for the no, David Letterman show. Oh, good. No, it was the, it was the opposite because uh, I was a good be, and I actually, because of timing things, I— I had turned down Goodby twice before, right? And they said we're going to take you, but if you fuck up this third time, you're dead to us. Yeah. And it was it was literally a week later, Tom, and I oh. I was terrified. And Jeff was great though. He said, "How do you not do this?" Uh, but no, I was not throwing papers up in the air. Yeah. Okay. And you were like, yeah. "Please don't hate me and please don't, and tell don't hurt everyone. me." Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. 
but he was nice about it. And then, so you go to New York again. Now you're back in New yeah. York. You're really, yeah. you like to move your life and I just take so. it and, yeah, it's good. I, I think so. I think my attentional issues uh, yeah. had me traveling around America and, um, <laughs> So, yeah, so just to wrap up Letterman, like when it got to CBS, um, for me, uh, others would disagree. For me, it was a different show. And it was, I, I just couldn't get stuff on the air. I was told Dave doesn't do stuff like that or he has a bad back. And it was frustrating. So there were, I remember a gag on the show where it was so hot in the summer. Uh, they were going to see if like an egg, an egg would fry on the sidewalk. And, yeah. and I was like, that's it. And I submitted a a top 10 list of reasons Conan show was funnier. And then the, the day after that, they fired me. <laughs> so that was it. But I, but I was done. I, I wasn't, I was just crestfallen that like, it wasn't the show on NBC. Right. And you, you had this, you had this idea in your head of what life would be like if you could just write for the David Letterman show. Was that a long-term goal or were you just like, you just heard this guy liked uh, your stuff and suddenly you were like, Oh, okay. I could do that. No, I wanted to write for, for Letterman. But yeah. again, I think I just remembered a different show. Yeah. Um, you know, and when I got there, I was I was probably a fish out of water. Um, all the writers were from Harvard, and Will Forte and I were, he was the SNL guy. He and I were not from Harvard. Yeah. And, and we just, we stuck out. Like, we it, we weren't a good match for, for the show, I think. It was a very conventional sense of, uh, of humor at that time. Right. And so... What do you do from there? So that's when I reached out to Cliff and um, and met with him, and and I said to to Cliff at lunch that the Little Caesar stuff and the Staples work is great, but it it's I don't think it's going to be my style. And Cliff said he was like, uh, Eric, I I don't want to do that anymore either. That's my uh, best Cliff impression. That's pretty good. Pretty good. Yep, uh, it's a lot like Forrest Gump. And I started as a writer there, and I remember my first week, um, Arthur Bajur had me on a Staples assignment. Yeah. And I think I was kind of a dick back then, but I knew I didn't want to work on Staples. So yeah. I showed a script where someone, <laughs> so I think it was something like someone walks into a post office and just blows it up. And, and Arthur was like, why? Like, what does that have to do with office supplies? <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. And then and then I didn't have I to did. work on Staples. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my God! You're teaching the kids so many bad things, Eric. <laughs> yeah, I haven't, I haven't really thought through any of this, but yeah, but that's <laughs> but that's what happened. And then Neil Tiles was brought. Um, he brought Fox Sports to Cliff, uh-huh. and that kicked off the whole thing. Yeah, and you and Neil uh, worked together for a long time on different things. Direct yeah, TV, I, right? Wasn't he Direct TV guy? When, yeah. So so we had, later, you know, we. Yeah, at BBDO. That's right. So that's that's the uh, the thing where you where you become friends with a client. Like you want to do that. They are your friends. Yeah, and and that was the first campaign we did was the NHL on Fox. All these sports oh, yeah. would be better if they were hockey. And then um, so that was uh, golf would be better if it was hockey. Yeah, billiards, all that. And then Outpost was the one that that shook things up. Yeah. Putting and, a gerbil um, in a uh, in a cannon and shooting yeah. it uh, in through the O and outpost. That's right. So we did the gerbils out of the cannon and the high school marching band that's attacked by wolves and the um, tattooing the babies. And my, I remember then there was nothing to say about outpost. It was yeah. this boring company, and I thought let's just help 
people remember their name. Yeah. And Roger Camp had a great addition at the end. He said we should ask people to send complaints. Yes. Send complaints to outpost.com. So that campaign, you know, it freaked everyone the fuck out, in, including Cliff. And I remember he said, Eric, <laughs> Eric, this isn't funny. It's just sad. <laughs> and then it, <laughs> it's so funny. Um, and then it won awards, and Cliff was like, I always like those. Yeah. But that, but that campaign was, that was different for sure, and it, it did freak a lot of people out. And then we did the Fox Sports regional campaign, um, sports news from the only region you care about. Yeah. Um, and what else did we do? Um, I think, I think at Cliff, the, the two favorite things were actually the nonviolent ones. So there was the PSA and we see the guys forced to use his feet to change. Oh the my diaper. God. I have always right? loved that spot. Um, and then Alan and Alan and Jerome was the other one. And, uh, the two white kids who play basketball and we, we always got a bad rap for violent spots, but those are my two favorites. Yeah. Those are great. Those are what yeah. made me want to work for you. Um, and I came over to Cliff when I was at Kirschenbaum to show you my book. Um, you don't remember, I'm sure, but like you told me um, sometimes you have to trick clients into into good work because I was like, how do you get them to do all these things? Um, yeah, that you have to trick them into it. So I started yeah, trying to trick my clients, and then I got fired. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. That didn't happen. Well, the dirty little secret is the trick is just make them like you and trust you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 That's right. <laughs> I should have said that then. <laughs> yeah. You should have told me that because I was just trying to trick them, you know, yeah. tricked you. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And that was the thing uh, at BBDO. I saw you in the room looking at stuff with uh, account people. And at that point in my career, I think I thought account people were my enemy and I needed to be away from those. most. But then seeing you talk to them and actually work with them on what's going to work and how we're going to sell it, that kind of opened my eyes too. Yeah, I think account people and planners, that's no a creative is worthless if if they're not doing their job for sure. Yeah. Um what uh what else can we talk about? What tell me about uh <laughs> it's always uh I've always loved this, the the Van Halen uh resignation letter. Right. So <laughs> so BBO is where I met a young Tom Chrisman yes. and that was great. Um, you know, in <laughs> I'm skating past that, I guess. Yeah, yeah, no, but I was just going to say in, in leaving BBDO, um, that, you know, another, that was the big recession, right? Yeah. And Omnicom, I, I think they, they meant well, um, but they were like, you have to go to DDB. Uh, right, we right. Need, we need you to help out. And I was like, yeah. oh, oh I, okay. <laughs> and I guess I'll, I'll just say Ari and Wendy are over there and they're going to kill it. Yeah. Um, but when I got there, the walls were covered with these old posters of Bill Burnback quotes. Um, they were literally yellow from age, and yeah. black electrical tape was holding the carpets together. And oh. I was just, it was very depressing. And I, I don't know. I don't have much more to say than that. But yeah. I'd resigned early on, and then I resigned again yeah. towards the end. Um, and that was actually, that resignation letter was something I posted on Facebook. Yeah. And an, an ad age reporter saw it, and then they... Uh, they they made it an adage story and I was like oh that's cool yeah that yeah. was I, I thought that was a brilliant way of of just like I don't know making making yeah. your own brand yeah you are a brand well thank you Tom Christian um 
So we we're at BBDO, and then you're you were at DDB. You started your own place. Uh, mm-hmm. You've done. You've worked at all these different places. You are now uh, chief creative officer North America of McCann, mm-hmm. which is which is uh, which is a big job. Um, yeah. What is the difference between all these places? What, what, over the years, what have you? What's the thing that makes a good place uh, as opposed to a bad place? You know, I, I, I think what I said to you earlier is right. Like, I have a technical answer. Like, if I was giving a uh, a press quote or something, but as I look back on it, and even talking to you, the places where it felt like a home, yeah. and partners that I liked, and we were, you know, in it for the good work, yeah. um, versus partners that I maybe didn't trust, um, and it was clearly a business, that that has been the difference. And that goes for if I'm a junior writer or CCO of North America, that that's the truth. When it when you feel comfortable with your partners yeah. and you're free to do the right thing, I think that's right. I think that's the answer. Yeah. And now you're at McCann um, and with Rob Riley, fellow A-lister, mm-hmm. Rob Riley. Yeah. You've both yeah. been on the A-list. Um, <laughs> um, and you've done Fearless Girl, which everyone's talking about, everyone loves. Mm-hmm. Um, how did that come about? What was the, cause that is, for me, it's like, that is the epitome of like an action, not an ad. So it's like, let's get our client to do this thing. Um, which I see you're doing more and more of, uh, from the, the, uh, the, what was it? The class trip to Mars to, uh, yeah. Fearless Girl. I, I know you're, you're trying to do more of that. Well, that, and I think that was always the thing. Like, even at BBDO in our group, like, we we won more awards for design than television. Yeah. And at Silver and Partners, we made a ton of mistakes on digital, but we were always experimenting with, you know, Ultimate Vodka or Fair Tweets for Ben and Jerry's. Yeah. But I, but I think I've, and sometimes hit and sometimes miss, but looking for what's how do we challenge ourselves and do something different? Yeah. And Lockheed was the most technical example, like that really was digital, as digital as you could be. And that the was the, the class trip to Mars, right? Yeah, a very complex um, initiative that took a long time to sell in. But um, Fearless Girl was sort of the opposite. It's kind of the oldest form of art, Yeah. Um, a bronze statue. And this young female creative team, they wanted something to stare down the charging bull you know, is to promote the She Fund. And the She Fund is a fund. It's made up of these women-led companies. Um, yeah. Because we all, we all know women are better at business. So Absolutely. They, they had this thought about, you know, what would stare down the charging bull. But we couldn't crack it. And one day I was talking about it with Rob Riley, and he asked, I think he said something like, what if it's like Tiananmen Square? And as we started talking about it, from that came this idea, this little girl. This little girl, girl could stand down the bull. And I would say, too, that Lockheed and Fearless Girl both probably took 18 months. Wow. And if there's a, a last point, it's things that are good generally take time. Yeah. And I, I would say hang in there. You know, like these things will die a thousand deaths and just, just hang in there. Yeah. I mean, you, you are one of the most awarded creatives probably in the world and you've had lots of stuff killed and, you know, I've, I've been there for a lot of it and, uh, you, uh, you just come out the other side and you go, Hey, this is another day. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. You keep getting up, right? Yeah. You just keep getting up. Yeah. Um, 
I feel like uh, we are coming to the end of our time together, uh, probably over our time together. Uh, how can people listen uh, to you on the social medias and follow you and do the things with you? Uh, Facebook and Friendster. <laughs> so you're just Eric Silver on both both of those uh, platforms. Right. Yeah. That's right. uh, I'm going to tag you on Friendster later, and we'll, we'll, okay. uh, we'll be friends. Um, is everything going to be okay? That's my final question for you. Oh, is, is this an advertising or life? I don't know. I think I just Trump have it written thing? down here. Is everything going to yeah. be okay? I'll, I'll, I'll say this. If we can get through uh, three and a half more years of Trump, I yeah. will say resou- a resounding yes. Yeah. Do you think we're really going to need three and a half more years? Well, and I was thinking, too, like it's the exact opposite of Kennedy's Camelot. Yeah, it's just it's the exact opposite. Um, I do. I don't think he'll be impeached. I think he should be, and I think we're going to have to weather three and a half years. Okay. Yeah. That's enough about him. Well, thank <laughs> you, uh, Eric Silver, for being on the A List podcast. Is there anything um, else? Is there anything I didn't ask you that you were like he he needs to ask me about that? Wow, he sucks at this job. Um, I would say for creatives just starting out. Um, don't feel pressure to think in terms of digital or any other compartments. Um, that'll usually just mess you up. I would say no matter what brief you're working on, just think in terms of utility or in terms of usefulness and ask yourself, what does this actually bring to the world? Um, and it can be big or small, but it should serve some purpose. And for creative directors just starting out, I remember an old Rick Boyko quote, uh, that I'll butcher, um, but it went something like this. If you're dictatorial, you're an egomaniac. If you're passive, people doubt your commitment. If you create the advertising, you're competition. And if you don't, you're lazy. And Rick's point was, you'll never please everyone, so don't worry about it. And he's right, just do your best to create kick-ass work. That was on a cover of Creativity um, when I was at Cliff Freeman, and it just it always stuck with me. Wow. So those those would be some uh, some last tips. Those are great. I'm gonna I'm writing those down. <laughs> I could use them. All right. Uh, thank you, Mr. Eric Silver, and it was a pleasure to talk to you. Tom Crispin, I love you. I'm proud of you, and uh, I want to get dinner soon. All right. I'm in. All right. Are you going to Cannes? Uh, my daughter graduates. Um, that Thursday. Yeah. So I'm literally going to Cannes for just a few days. That's the way to do it. I think that is the right way Another to do it. Another tip to the kids. Don't go That's for more third. than a, a few days. <laughs> That's a third and final tip. Yep. All right. All right. Have a great summer and Thanks, congrats Tom. on your daughter graduating. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. So that was my chat with Eric Silver. Lots of breaking news there. Goodness. The whole thing with the Mylar ad, I'm, I'm, a little, I'm a little upset. Don't steal ads, kids. It's okay for Eric Silver in the 90s, but not okay for you now. And, uh, and then I love the story about fellow A-lister uh, David Angelo giving that speech. I wonder what was in that speech. Maybe, maybe David can, can find it and send it to us. But uh, that's Eric Silver. He's over at McCann. Go get him. Send him uh, emails or uh, find them on Facebook or on Friendster, if you're on Friendster. The A-List is brought to you by Ad House Advertising School. I'm Tom Chrisman. Thanks for listening. 
please rate us and subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you want to be interviewed for an upcoming episode, contact us through adhousenyc.com. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Mongo Industries. And you can check out Damasimo Goldstein at digobrands.com. The A-list is recorded at Gramercy Post in New York City. Our engineer today was Matt Stillo. Thanks, everybody. See you next time.